And, um, and so I just want to welcome everyone to the Genetic Engineering and Society Center's weekly seminar series. And uh, my name is Don Rodriguez Ward, and uh, this is co-moderated by Jennifer Baltzigar. And we're very excited about our speaker today. Before we get started um, and have our Ag Biofuse fellow introduce our speaker, I just wanted to remind everyone um, that we have some updates and announcements and leave space for that. So uh, next week, we will be having um, Dr. Brian Donovan from BCBS uh, joining us in person. And this will be a two-day event, uh, Monday, the 25th and Tuesday, the 26th. And so we have sent out some uh, emails also uh, inviting you to meet with the speaker beforehand. So I just wanted to remind you to please uh, review your email or if anyone is interested in meeting with uh, Brian Donovan or attending the GGA event, the fireside chat uh, or the colloquium, uh, please let Jen and I know as well. And we'd be happy to um, get you uh, an appointment. And are there any other updates or announcements from anyone else before we get started? Okay. All right. We'll just remind you, everyone, that uh, we have asked our speaker for a 30-minute presentation, and then we leave the last half hour for questions and answers. And we'll have you muted for the moment, but then you can use the raise your hand function if you'd like to ask him a question, um, or you can write it in the chat. So. Um, welcome everyone and uh, Greg Ferraro, our uh, Ag Biofuse uh, fellow. Can you? We'll let you start the introductions. Hi everyone, I'm Greg, and I have the pleasure of introducing today's speaker. Daniel Uribe is co-founder and CEO of Genobank.io. Uh, can everyone hear me? All right. Uh, which was born from Daniel's pursuit of improving security and transparency for people looking to have their DNA sequenced. Daniel's expertise spans data engineering to entrepreneurship. Among many achievements, he is the inventor of bio-NFTs, meant to tokenize revocable digital rights over human biosamples and biodata. And he previously founded Kiosco, a financial inclusion project for helping Hispanic service providers embrace the formal economy. He holds an MBA from the London Business School of Economics. Daniel, we are very happy to have you at NCSU and are looking forward to your talk. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, Jennifer, Don, Jill, and uh, Sharon. Uh, everybody, I'm, I'm very honored to be here today with you. And in the next uh, few minutes, I'll be like more uh, introducing to the, to the concept. Many of you, I'm sure you already have uh, experience with uh, cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, right? Basically, during the next 30 minutes, what I'm going to uh, uh, share with you is a, a different kind of, uh, of uh, angle where we are using cryptographic proofs that interact directly with sequencing uh, laboratories or clinical laboratories and we will call them like the data originators, right? The, the, the main objective of this uh, uh, talk is basically to uh, just, uh, well, obviously introduce myself and uh, basically then talk a little bit about uh, the, the technology. So 
I, I am a father of three beautiful kids. And uh, lately, we just uh, got uh, chewy. <laughs> I um, I'm originally from Mexico, but uh, uh, right now um, I'm in Palo Alto, California. So um, decided to come in 2015 and start the, the journey in the blockchain space. So uh, I've been studying uh, entrepreneurship at Stanford University, then Singularity University, and then we, we founded uh, Kiosco and Saldo. So those are very uh, similar projects. It was the first wallet to have a crypto peso, crypto Mexican peso, it's our currency. And um, the, the main idea is to provide a, a way for Mexican immigrants to pay for Mexican invoices in a cross-border way without uh, the need of sending the money, right? Because we realized that families were not uh, interested that much into sending money per se, but to take care of, of families. So through this wallet, you could pay uh the the bills and everything to to your family so that's how the the uh the journey inside the blockchain in 2015 started but um unfortunately in 2017 my son was diagnosed with a rare disease and it obviously shifted all my financial and technological um uh, journey into a more uh, into the life sciences so we, we started like saying, okay, uh, this is a, a saliva tube in the drawing uh, to the left, right? And we said, hey, how can we use this cryptographic, uh, new, new decentralized network of cryptographic assets to recognize the origin or the ownership or wh whatever uh, aspect or legal aspect that we can uh, enforce the... The, the the let's say the legality of of the aspect of the uh of the biosamples using uh blockchain technology so basically we we came with the idea of a bio wallet right that you could use in order to uh, register these these assets so we didn't want it to uh you know like we say uh getting immersed in, into our own idea. So we we tried to publish into the British Blockchain Association Journal. And in 2020, we were not only published, but we were awarded as one of the best uh, blockchain applications in life sciences. And we, we obviously, we were very honored. So if, if somebody is interested at the end of the talk, I'll, I'll put the, the, the link to the research uh, article, but um, is basically the intersection of how can we program privacy laws um, regarding genetic data or genomics data sets using non-fungible token or smart contracts. Basically, that's uh, the, the whole the whole thing. Uh, I was very honored to receive also uh, a recognition from the federal. Uh, secretary in in Mexico in terms of the uh, protection to uh, personal data. So we we sent this um, uh, work to to um, we have an institute in in Mexico to protect 
the, the personal data, very similar to the FTC here in the in the United States. And um, basically, we we also got awarded. So this is kind of the 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 background, right? So again, during the the agenda, we will really really very fast go through the why blockchain and what is this uh, new technology right now is very uh, uh, is not new anymore i think but basically the main idea is to uh, evolve from uh, one just fountain of truth right one database I even if it's a it's a, a financial system or a healthcare system usually there is one database maybe it's replicated but it's the same source of truth into nodes right into decentralized nodes so we can have a consensus mechanism on what is the the accepted transaction so everybody uh, needs to to uh, to agree on what is the the correct data and then uh, everybody will will replicate the, the same so in, in the financial world, uh, for the blockchain community, uh, the, the most uh, obviously popular uh, cryptographic asset uh, represents money, right? And we are going through, uh, I think, a revolution in terms of the money because of two things. The first one, we are realizing that today, uh, even if you have cash, it's still an entry in some systems kind of uh, ledger, right? So let we could say today, obviously with some um, precautions that today even cash, it's electronic or digital money, right? Because it's registered somewhere in a, in a, in a ledger. So for the purposes of this um, uh, talk, uh, I, I want to invite to reflect about what is money and for just to say, is, well, it's basically just uh, 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 an entry in, in, in a ledger. So the second thing that is happening is that the, the, it seems that the, the citizens <laughs> since 2009 created their own ledger, right, which was Bitcoin. Uh, the, the main mission of, of Bitcoin was to be implemented by citizens and serve citizens without the intervention on any government or state. And it has a set of rules. Here are the most uh, like uh, prominent, like it was implemented on 2009 and, and by code, there's only be, uh, there's uh, are going to only be uh, 21 million of, of these digital certificates, right? It's a fully decentralized accounting system in its essence. And uh, now you can, uh, and it started with uh, 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes, right? So this is very uh, known. The main idea is to, again, separate the control of the state from the, from the issuance of money and to create for the first time digital scarcity. So we we know that in, in terms of computational uh, systems, uh, the, the main challenge here that blockchain solve is digital scarcity. So you can control the number of certificates into a network. 
So this is really, really the, the, the essence. So by 2018, I met with Vitalik uh, Buterin. So uh, obviously he's the inventor of the Ethereum network. He introduced in actually in 2015, back in 2000, I met with him the, those days. He introduced the concept of the colored coins. He wanted to implement them on the Bitcoin uh, network, but the community, uh, the, the, the core developers were like uh, opposed to this idea. So he uh, came with the idea of creating a, a, an alternative. So he created Ethereum so everybody could create their own token for their own purposes, right? So he, uh, for this, he, uh, let's say, uh, increased the, ca the capabilities. And now Ethereum basically is a computer, a decentralized computer. So it can receive a code, execute code, and you just pay a fee for the services of the, the network. And one of those services is, hey, I want to create a coin. And basically, uh, we, we now have a very, I think, diverse uh, uh, ecosystem of applications. So we have applications for um, every important and valuable aspect of the lives of humans. Obviously, we have uh, digital IDs, voting, healthcare. Uh, banking now very uh, uh, close to to law enforcement or legal tech as we call it and the the say in the in the ecosystem is that everything that has great value for humans will be tokenized and token the tokenization process is again covered it with all the protections or all the characteristics of a token in a decentralized ledger with three objectives that it could be it can be verified this is the most important one in my opinion you can verify the existence or the authenticity of of uh, an asset you can uh, transmit it so it creates liquidity of of whatever you're we're talking about and the third one again is that it um avoids the third parties right it it avoids uh unnecessary uh, bureaucracy. The other aspect is um, that that is also evolving. Like for instance, in life sciences, we call decentralized science, and decentralized science basically is a, again we we well we want to remove the intermediaries as much as possible, so we can uh, empower the uh, the independent researchers, the patients, and basically the edges, right? The edges of the network uh, should be empowered. And one of the most uh, exciting ideas is the, the DAOs. So DAOs is a decentralized autonomous organization, which basically is an algorithm, algorithmic governance among humans, right? So now maybe uh, the first DAO uh, governed by AI will emerge soon. And maybe the, the AI will be more just or it'll prevail uh, in terms of equity and transparency and so on and so forth. So a lot of interesting things are happening in, in DAOs. Uh, yesterday I was talking to a, a researcher 
and and this person said, hey, hospitals, for instance, in healthcare, we, because we're going to talk about healthcare in a, in a minute, should be DAOs, right? Own and control or with a, with a more stronger uh, uh, participation from patients, right? So I think it's a, it's food for thought, right? But it's, I think it's a good idea. So obviously we have the fungible assets. Uh, fungible is that it, it is uh, very easy to interchange one from another. They, they usually have the, the same value, right? One Bitcoin strictly talking is fungible with another Bitcoin. That being said, there's people that will pay a lot of money to uh, to have like the bitcoins that you can prove that we're in the wallet of XYZ person, right? And because you can prove provenance, so there's like these collectors of rare satoshis or rare bitcoins, right? Let's remember that satoshis is um, a, a small portion of, of bitcoin. So Today, we're not going to talk about this. We're going to talk about these other tokens, which are the non-fungible, right? These are more for the real assets, uh, as we call, uh, um, like uh, a plane ticket or a house or the CryptoKitties, which will serve me as an example of where my journey in 2017 started. So this is this is uh, not new. It actually is now uh, taking very serious about corporations. I just have uh, as, an, as an example Nike and Microsoft, right? So Nike uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe maybe less, maybe one point five years ago, uh, obtained a patent to protect the the, the designs on specific uh, shoes. To and use NFTs to provide to the owner the proof that this uh, specific design was uh, a limited edition, right? So again, is combining digital scarcity with physical scarcity in terms of of the design to create again uh, limited editions. In the other uh, way, like a Microsoft obtained a patent um, to use the the human body as as a mining entity for movement so basically it's it's a system where it comprises the uses of nfts and fungible tokens to create a network that will compensate for uh, humans if they make exercise right this is again going to the healthcare space so it can create a system of incentives for people to exercise and reach some goals, and then this uh, network will, will compensate. For those that are curious about, or, you know, like this type of, of uh, esoteric things, the Microsoft patent uh, ends in 666. So just a, a funny uh, uh, aspect of that specific patent. So if you Google Microsoft patent 666, it'll, it'll uh, take you to this specific uh, patent. Well, uh, this is uh, where my journey started, and the, and this is the the grandfather as, as idea of you want the, to be the sure bio your NFTs. valuable goods are authentic. One this day, company you may wish to trade for them, even to sell one. Ariane can arrange this, and even more, protecting your privacy by creating a digital is basically the pioneer of, of the fidgets, backed by blockchain, right, as we call them. These anonymous records are impossible to destroy. So for the main idea, 
and capture a lifetime of is to record the ownership of luxury items and or advanced technology right. identification like NFC. For example, and this this video is is really old. Like this is like down to register your product. I think an easy to use twenty twenty repository decentralized independent verification. The watch will automatically be registered. But basically, it's again to prove provenance, authenticity, ownership. Because again, in the luxury world, and certify its one the most valuable thing is the certificate of origin. And is transferable the, the for invoice or the proof of ownership. Moreover, this initiates so exclusive RNA started using the ERC seven twenty and allows uh, the owners and like brands to stand with each other. Standard augments the ownership of all valuable in order to record them groundbreaking the, the ownership and how the ownership is transmitted through time. And brands relationships and this obviously. Owners to, are now in full control of their to data. Control, uh, they choose which data to the, share. The item, and again, and if they are going to buy it in a, a secondary trajectory. market, they'll be able to, to, to prove Welcome ownership. Welcome to the future of ownership. So you want back, to back in those days, um, we, <clears throat> we started the journey. So it, it has obviously evolved into the even the legal tech. So now we have NFTs that serve... Uh, uh, individuals in in like uh, it, it is recognized uh, as as uh, as a, as a way a new way to communicate from the authorities to the person who owns the the NFTs like let's say a DAO and now the the New York City and the UK uh, um, circuit of legal well they they served the 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 community by sending injunctions <laughs> using NFTs. So now the, the even the authorities are using NFTs, like saying, okay, maybe I don't know you, but I will send you uh, injunction, an injunction NFT, right? Uh, an order, so you, you, you've been served <laughs> with an NFT. So uh, please contact us, we wanna talk to you uh, because there's, there's a, a, an interest. So this is the, the was this the center of the talk, uh, basically, the the board apes which we we will talk a little bit about the artistic nfts so nfts obviously is the smart contract and it can this is the most famous so 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 far which is the artistic but the the principal idea for us the rest of the use cases is that it it, it reaches the, the the high courts right and at least today singapore and the circuit of of uk uh, already have recognized uh, NFTs as proof of property, right? Proof of ownership with certain rules. But this is very important because we, we've been saying like for years, hey, if I have the NFT, I have proof of ownership, but it's not necessarily true. You need to obviously comply with the, the existing rules or the existing um, uh, laws, but they, they, can, they can be uh, merged and then if it's properly designed, serve as as a proof of, of property. So these these are already been done. So now that was like the intro. Uh, let's go directly to bio NFTs, which is the the objective of of this uh, talk. So through the through the through the process of this, um, I noticed. Uh, I mean, this is some some uh, curious um, or 
fun, funny aspects that uh, blockchain and biology has like uh, similarities, right? Like uh, biology obviously was, was first and we noticed that DNA makes uh, us very scarce and unique, unique right? The same uh, as blockchain. So what we say is that maybe Satoshi Nakamoto, which was, is one of the uh, pseudonyms of a person or a group of person that helped um, uh, promote the use of blockchains because blockchains already existed before Bitcoin. The, the main idea is that I think they inspired on DNA and, and, and how uh, nature uh, has preserved the, the information in, in, in molecules and uh, to, to create the blockchain and more specifically the Merkle tree, right? Because Merkle trees is a computational uh, structure that keeps track of the, the hashes and then uh, keeps tracks of, of, of where, uh, who, which are the parents uh, and which are the, the, chi the children uh, operations. So the same as, as DNA, uh, it's open and traceable. Um, we, we consider DNA open and traceable as well. I mean, we have to use a, a sequencer, but at the end of the day, it's the same. It requires energy. It's decentralized because it's on our cells and uh and so on and so forth so it's it's also a network we consider that all the living uh beings we are we are form a, a colony or a, or a network and this is just like uh a, a fun uh some aspects right between the dna and, and and blockchain so we say dna is a blockchain of nature right so let's use it right uh we think because um at the end of the day as we know in uh, we we are very very similar strictly talking we are the same species but that 0.01% makes us unique right and this uniqueness has created uh, marvelous opportunities for research but also some conflicts so we we have recently celebrated that uh, uh, Mrs. Henrietta Lacks. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you know the case. In, in genomics, is really really known. So I'll, I'll assume, uh, if I may, for the sake of of saving a little bit of time, that you know about this use case, because at the end of the day, what I'm trying to tell is that um, this is a, a, a provenance problem, right? A provenance and slash consent kind of, of problem. So there was obviously not a, a consent. It was um, the, 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 the cells were taken without a proper consent from Mrs. Henrietta Lacks. Uh, and she, she unfortunately passed away, uh, but even the family was not aware. But it created a lot of valuable assets, right? It, it says it's... it's uh, uh, the, the HeLa cells are in more than 11,000 patents and counting, right? So again, this, this uh, is lack of permission, lack of consent, and it creates, uh, it or it doesn't help to create conflict-free biosamples, as we call it. So this uh, conflict-free comes from the diamonds <laughs> industry, but we also use that as say, hey, let's just incentivize the use of conflict-free biosamples for research. So again, back uh, or explaining a little bit more the non-fungibility, this is the uh, pioneer of digital DNA, this game, 
It was called CryptoKitties. It's it still exists if you want to check it out. But this uh, group of people created the first uh, NFT that recorded uh, DNA on a smart contract. It was obviously not uh, human DNA. It was a, a synthetic DNA. It was a 256-bit uh, genome uh, because each, each CryptoKitty is unique. And instead of uh, uh, phenotypic or uh, phenotype, we, we, we call it, or they call it attributes, right? But here's the, the thing. This game inspired uh, myself and, uh, and my team uh, back in those days to create uh, a similar system so we could basically help uh, mainly individuals and families to create the, the same kind of record and start like, you know, growing from there. And this is very, very current. Basically what is happening here is that at left, obviously we have a biosample collection too, with a unique serial number. That's the only prerequisite we have in our system. With that uh, unique serial number from the manufacturer, then we allow the individual or the parents or the family to um, claim ownership. And then it creates a data capsule. So it's it's also every single uh, biosample collection too creates its own repository. So it's it's decentralized uh, again uh, as as the as the individual, right? In this case, the baby. Uh, we we respectfully use the baby sec NFT. I mean, uh, in honor to the baby sec uh, project. Uh, hopefully, there's there's no conflict there, but it's just like a reference. Um, Basically, then we create a governance system, a decentralized governance system, because now the family uh, or the individual is in charge. And they can use uh, consent NFTs, and they issue these permissions in uh, through the blockchain in order for, um, obviously, make attestations of who is an authorized party and who is not. All the parties uh, that wants to have access to the genomic vault or the decentralized genomic vault needs to be uh, registered with us, the 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 uh, let's say the, the the owners of the protocol. So in this specific thing, we are centralized. So we we still uh, have the control of who can be a, a, a permittee, as we call it, or who cannot. So it, there's very basic. Um, Every researcher in the world can can have a credential as long as they have a public a profile and it's a, a kind of a known individual. Like if you have a LinkedIn and Twitter or an OC uh, or 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 ORCA ID or a publication or something, yeah, that's that's pretty much the proof we know. Eventually, we are going to decentralize this, but we need like the industry to advance. So we the the credentials, the decentralized credentials for scientists are created. So we are not uh, occupied in that in that area, but there are other projects that are creating these decentralized uh, um, credential or credentials for for uh, like like the LinkedIn kind of or, or, or the of the Twitter. Kind of version, but in the in the Web three or this decentralized uh, fashion. Um, so here's a, a, a small video <clears throat> uh, that will show again how basically in the same fashion as RNA. 
people will use a cryptographic key or a wallet, right? To associate um, DNA, this, this is a saliva tube, the saliva DNA collection tube. We use unique QR, QR codes, so each uh, saliva collection tube has its own magic URL. That will help the system to associate it with a wallet, which we call the biomass. So once it's, it's registered to your wallet, then a digital twin in the system of the collection tube is created, and then you can move it physically and digitally between the, the laboratories or the researchers, the universities, uh, and so on and so forth, right? So it, it becomes liquid now. So it unleashes the, the, the power. So this is, the, we are finishing the, the presentation. This is uh, another way to interpret what we are trying to do is how can we come from the origin, which is the biosample tube, <clears throat> to a map of permissions, right? This is very, very important. This is the key aspect. And this is why we, we got the award from the British Blockchain Association, because we uh, intended to use the GDPR laws in terms of, of how can we map the Article 7 of GDPR, which uh, talks about consent, using a smart contract to favor or to empower the individuals and families. So basically the question we want to answer is, who has access to my uh, data or who has a copy, an authorized copy of my data? So think about if you would be like an artist, uh, you wanna know who has uh, a signed or an authorized copy of your art, right? In this case, we we consider DNA uh, biological art. <laughs> so we have some use cases. So I'll I'll take a, a, a couple of minutes more. So we have the 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 decentralized DNA for Latin American ancestry research. So we give like we combine the artistic NFTs with the characteristics of uh, certifying that these participants have. Latino ancestry, so it is a, a proof of diversity in research uh, because the the new mandates of the FDA. Uh, so we we can provide those services. We provided the services to clinical laboratories during the pandemic, so the the, the participants or the patients could go have their COVID nineteen test and then send it directly to the airline uh, without the need of of showing uh, a QR code. And this was uh, a, a very successful and 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 good uh, application because the laboratory was um, the the oracle of the truth, right? So basically, the laboratory absorbed the legal uh, responsibility of saying this passenger is good to go, and the airline was very happy to accept it because airlines, if one thing they want to do is to uh, push the, the the legal responsibility uh, out of their system. Paternity test, again, the use of BioNFTs for uh, verifiable paternity tests. Uh, this is very, uh, I think, very cool as well. And this is uh, one of the la uh, last slides. So where once you have your uh, data tokenized in a private room, now we can connect your data to ChatGPT, like uh, generative AI. This is just a prototype. And using, again, cryptographic signatures, 
we uh, see that you are the token holder or the token owner of the corresponding uh, data set. And we run computational queries. Like in this case, uh, I'm asking if there's cardiovascular diseases uh, risks uh, among. So we go, we chat with ChatGPT. Obviously, ChatGPT will not analyze the data. But ChatGPT is very, very cool to uh, uh, listing the, the SNPs, right, that are related based on the public uh, available, basically is uh, DB, DB SNPs and Snipedia. So we gather all the, inf the information and we create a personalized report. So again, this is one of the applications of what we call decentralized genomics. And the main idea is to create uh, a, a network where privacy, because this is totally anonymous, no names, no, no nothing. Basically, the main idea is to create uh, an ecosystem where people can learn about their, their DNA, interact with researchers in absolute, uh, absolute anonymity with privacy and ownership. And basically, I think this is one of the ideas. We talk about a little bit of DAOs, and this could be a, a DAO for rare diseases, which we will be obviously uh, participating as a family. Um, there are other aspects. We can use these proofs uh, to, to analyze DNA from coffee, from uh, animal pedigrees, right, for uh, uh, livestock. and this is our latest uh, application. We want to protect the most sensitive information among humans, which we believe is the, the babies, the newborns, and basically used all this technology to empower parents to sequence the DNA of their babies and, and have control over who has access to, to their family vault, as we call it. Um, basically, this is the end. So. We think that, again, the human society will tokenize everything that is valuable. And one of the most valuable, or in my, in my opinion, the most valuable data set that we have, because it's a family reference, is our genomic data. For sure, I think is going to be tokenized. It's been tokenized. We, we work now with 33 laboratories, and we have tokenized more than 330,000 biosamples so far. But again, we, it's, it's still a prototype. I mean, we, we cannot say that this is mainstream, but this is a future. And recently, like, you not um, a patient, he just discovered uh, he has osteo osteogenesis imperfecta using the, the, the platform in a very privacy way, uh, privacy-preserving way. And he, he never uh, had a, a diagnosis before. So thank you. This is the the talk that I had. Sorry, I I, I uh, I'm over like a, a lot of minutes, but hopefully this was uh, interesting and obviously I'm I'm open to any questions or comments. Okay, thank you, Daniel. That that was quite interesting and and very different from what we normally um, hear here. So um, I'm going to give people time to put there and remind them that if they type their question in the chat, I'll read it for them. But if you would like to ask your question directly, which we prefer, of course, please use the raise your hand function and I'll call on you. And while I'm letting people gather their thoughts, I'll start with the first question. Um, so when you're applying this technology to a sample, it, it's to a physical sample and not to a genome itself or to genetic data itself, because I'm, I'm curious how you begin to 
how it can be unique if you can give multiple samples of the same thing? That that's a very good question. So basically, everything starts like here, right? I have a a DNA collection tube, mm-hmm. and and again, it has like a unique a unique serial number. So the the main idea of of the network is that uh, the laboratories will create uh, attestations over the inventory. So not not one of these bioassembles can enter the system without having an, a sponsor laboratory. Okay. So we have, for instance, in San Diego, we have one for Exxon. So the first thing is they have to have an inventory of kits, of DNA collection kits. We have the serial numbers and we create the unique uh, QR codes. Then the, the kits are ready to be distributed among the participants or the patients. When they receive the, the, the collection kit, you can scan it and you can create the relationship between a wallet and the two. You put the, the, the sample, in this case, a swab or saliva, you return it, and then the repository is created. So when the, 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 the DNA sequencing uh, finishes, there is, there is one specific repository to upload the data. And this is like the Genesis copy. We call it the Genesis copy. So this is for the first time in our system, this type of data exists. And we keep a copy of 96 SNPs. So we, we have a signature of 96 uh, variants that are unique to differentiate. So to your question, to specific question, if somebody takes a second test, if they have uh, already a data set, we will detect uh, a duplicate. And we will say, hey, this uh, sample or a very similar sample is uh, owned by another person. And we will allow to uh, to to have like like a, a controversy there. So it's it's basically it'll be a collision. We call it a collision in terms of the identity of the biosample. And even if they come from different serial numbers of biosample, at the end of the day, the the mutations are are saying that they are they come from the the, the same person. And that's the way we we will uh, solve collisions. So. It's it's um it's going to be an exception, but today we we haven't obviously got one, and uh, but but there, there's there's a a mechanism to to potentially solve it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. I'm going to read Fred's question, and then I'll call on Patty, and then Eric. So Fred asks, how do you see your approach entering an ecosystem where companies like 23andMe are already established? No, that's an excellent question. So we, we see 23andMe's and Ancestries as potential uh, 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 acquirers or, or they, they, they should, in my opinion, try uh, these decentralized governance systems for three reasons. The first one is that these companies are not growing anymore. I mean, they they are maintaining some of the uh, sales that they have because the number one aspect that they are you know losing money. At this, I believe this is the third quarter that Twenty uh, Three uh, and Me is is losing money uh, is because the lack of privacy, the lack of trust, basically. And the main idea is now if you can create hopefully a Twenty Three and Me wallet, right? 
and then I think they will uh, start grow growing again because now they they will on tap the, these uh, privacy uh, sensitive uh, market right that that is out there because there is a lot of people that would love to interact, including myself, with the algorithms that they have. I think they they have fantastic algorithms, but the problem is that they are centralizing the data. They claim some very important uh, legal aspects over the data so they can share it with their with their partners. Um, and this has created a lot of controversies because the, the, the transparency of who they are sharing the data with is not public. Um, so now, again, the, the map of permissions, I think, is, is a feature they, they would be benef- benefit uh, their, their, their ecosystem. So again, we see that the, the companies should consider at least uh, offering this as an alternative, not necessarily as the only uh, way, but as an alternative to people who wants to be the owner uh, and, and controller of, of their data. Uh, but I think they can coexist. Okay, Patty, would you like to um, unmute yourself and ask your question? Sure. So my, I have two questions that seem unrelated, but they are related. Um, I'm an identical twin and my, my identical twin sister had her, um, her DNA sequenced by 23andMe, which I was not thrilled about because I had concerns about, well, what happens if this company is purchased by another company or goes out of business? What happens to that, you know, to that genetic data? So my two-part question is, um, one, how do you handle identical twins? And two, um, what happens to these NFTs if Genobank goes away? Right. Very, very important uh, question. So the first one is the the identical twins uh, would be an exception, obviously, that they will be able to claim ownership over the same data set. So again, we, we call this a collision. Although we already have as ecosystem the, the, the instruments, like uh, Oxford Nanopore now has like the ability to trace uh, methylation, right? Methylation from DNA. So even if it's a, 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 an identical twin in, in your case, um, which is also I mean, always a good surprise, now the, the, the signatures of the methylation of the DNA, it's 100% different. So uh, it, it, is, it has uh, been proven that even if it's digital twins, they have different biological ages, right? They, uh, it's it's uh, so that's that's the way to differentiate. Is strictly strictly talking, we currently, to be honest, we are not obviously uh, detecting uh, methylation signatures over the the DNA data sets, but it's it's very near, right? So it's it's uh, maybe two or three years where where the the data set will have this uh, signature on and on because it's um, only I think it's Pack Bio and. Um, and, and Oxford Nanopore that offer this uh, signature directly into the data set that they produce. In Illumina, I think you have to do some bioinformatics around it. But to be very succinct, so it's again, it's a collision. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge. We don't have uh, how to solve it today in the system, but there's, there's a, a pathway to, to, to deal with this. Um, 
So because we will detect and one of the twins will say, hey, I cannot create an additional wallet because it, it says that my data is already in the system. So you will ha have to send us an email, explain it, and then we will allow like the two uh, uh, twins to have their own viral uh, with a uh, allegedly equal uh, or, or same uh, uh, data set. That, that, is, that would be like the today's kind of solution. For the second question is uh, the, the main idea of Web3 is to make the individuals independent, right? Or the family. So in case uh, Genobank disappears, the, the good news is that all the NFTs, because they are created with a ERC721 standard, will remain. And because we use uh, non-custodial wallets, you'll be able to claim ownership over these data sets. Again, the good news is we think that Genobank does not store any uh, data sets. We just map who has a copy and what are the uh, permissions over the copy. So usually the copies remain with the laboratory. So the problem is if the laboratory disappears, then it becomes problematic, but we will basically allow and, and encourage the laboratory to make notifications to all their users to say, hey, you have 90 days or 120 days to download your copy because we are going out of business or whatever. But the good news is that, again, the, the, the data sets remain in the, in the origin, usually the sequencing laboratory or the devices of each of the of the persons, right? So it, it, it has like, well, the, the the individual has the, the unique copy and that's okay with us. At least the the our main mission is to update the permissions map and the the yeah the, the location using the these NFTs. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, Eric, do you want to ask your question? Yeah. Thanks for the talk. Uh, my question has to do with um, like pairing the the data with uh, like like some AI system, and you know the demo they had had uh, you know like uh, you know some SNP that's significant for uh, for disease. I'm just I'm just thinking from like from like a regular person that maybe not familiar with how these association uh, uh, tests work. That could, you know, potentially be taken to mean that they have, uh, you know, they have like the disease, or they may not fully understand exactly how these things are done. So I'm just curious about how you would deal with that, and if this type of work would be paired with like, uh, you know, like a geneticist, or to be able to explain to people what the data means, um, because like, you know, it could definitely be uh, trouble to some people. No, totally. You're you're totally right. The 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 tool, first of all, it it allows you to create um, polygenic risk scores, right? So, is essentially it's a score, and we know that we are very, you know, like like conscious that it's a score, but usually the people does not know it's just only a score, right? It's it's a a statistical approximation, right? basically, uh, or if I may put it that way. So yes, we have a very big disclaimer that this is just for informational purposes. 
that no medical decision should take blah. I mean, this is a very big disclaimer, but even with those things, people will generate some uh, uh, anxiety or questions and everything. So yes, we have two uh, genetic counselors in our network. The, the, the prototype you saw is not open to, to the public yet. When we open this, it'll be able to say, I need help, right? And there's going to be, first of all, a, a chatbot, again, just based on generative AI to start like explaining everything. Or if you, you need a human to talk, and in this case, a genetic counselor, you, you can uh, basically take your, your reports to, to her because we do not store the reports. The reports that you generate, you have to download them uh, on the fly in in your computer basically the it's it's a pdf with a json it, it pairs with a json so you can have both the 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 human readable version and the data set right that generated so it'll, it'll have a json let's say of four biomarkers or four snips that are related to cardiovascular disease and your your genotype right basically um and and the, the match that was on on public databases that's the other thing. Today we are limited on the interpretations that are public, because uh, private databases um, are obviously orders of magnitude better in terms of the annotations that they have, but they are quite expensive for us as as a as a project. So so today we are, we are limited. Like for instance, I'm, I'm Latino, and there is a lot of genotypes of my my SNPs that are not annotated. Um, at least not publicly, and this creates again opportunities, right? So with we with we we know that African Americans and Latinos are underrepresented. So the main idea is to create a network of anonymous um, participant that would like to share some specific biomarkers for for research. But but yes, uh, to your question very succinctly, yes, there, there's there's going to be uh, genetic counselors available. Okay, uh, Rex asks in the chat, an anonymity and privacy with other apps, chat GPT. Can you elaborate on this? Are these third-party apps obligated to be as anonymous as Genobank.io? Well, in, in essence, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm taking the liberty to, uh, again, uh, show this map because basically in, in this specific uh, prototype, which is the the... Where, where you can query ChatGPT or make some questions uh, in your in your data set. What what we really um, absorb or consume from ChatGPT is the list of SNPs, right? Potential SNPs, we call them, right? So uh, it is very important to say that for this uh, prototype, nothing. I mean, uh, no. Uh, genetic information is shared with OpenAI, the, the, the company that invented ChatGPT, right? It's only the conversation. So they, they will only keep my question. Like for instance, if, if I ask, what are my predisposition to cardiovascular diseases or lupus or diabetes or one? So those questions will be recorded, but in our API. So it'll be like everybody's question will be there as one entry. So it's also like, Impossible to see to to map who who did the question, and 
So we we just filter the conversation to find these potential SNPs because actually ChatGPT strictly talking will uh, answer that it is not a, a genetic expert uh, or a medical expert, but nevertheless, here are the SNPs that I consider you should be uh, uh, querying, right? So we, we grab those, we go to Snipedia, we verify that the first, it's not a hallucination from ChatGPT. Second, that they they have a reference. And the third, we try to, to put down uh, or to, to uh, elaborate a, a personalized report. And we do it again in conf using confidential compute. So we only query those biomarkers of your data without seeing the whole data set. So we, we protect your privacy even from our own system. And I think the whole industry should, should go to this digital hygiene or a hygienic kind of, of way of interacting with, with data, which is the principle of data minimization, right? So for um, many studies, I don't know the percentage, but for many, many studies, I think the grand majority, you don't need the whole data set, right? So basically, if we go and incentivize that companies will only look for the regions and minimize the, the, the need of the whole data sets, the better for privacy. So I think if we, uh, again, we, we think we are a promoter of that because we are just only querying those specific five or six biomarkers or SNPs. And and try to to create a, a specific report, but it's very uh, very new. Very, uh, it's a prototype, so it, it needs a lot of, of improvements there. So any any feedback uh, more than welcome. Okay, well we are almost done with the hour. So if you'll help me thank Daniel for. Um, quite an interesting idea and for very thoroughly answering all of our questions. Um, so thank you, Daniel. Uh, I want to remind everyone that next week we'll be in person and Brian Donovan will be talking about uh, race and gender in teaching. Um, so uh, if you are interested in meeting with him, uh, look in your emails for opportunities there. I'm sorry, two weeks. Next week, oh, thank you, Patty, for reminding me. Next week is actually a mental health wellness day, so we will not meet next week. The following week, we will meet with Brian. So no meeting next week at all, and in two weeks, we'll be back together in person. So again, thank you, Daniel, and we will see everyone in two weeks. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Yeah. Have a yeah, you too. Thank you very much for everything.